Well, uh, Todd, I appreciate you, though, uh, taking time to talk about your new film, Final Caller. Uh, yeah, man, it's going to be good. It, it is. I, I Unfortunately, uh, I haven't had a chance to record my review yet, but I have watched it, and I will say I really enjoyed it. Um, oh, cool. Thank you. It, it was it was quite fun. And, and I do have a, I, I, a number of interesting uh, uh, questions to bring up because I had some questions about it while I was watching it. But um, what I usually like to do, uh, sir, if you wouldn't mind, I usually like to get the director, uh, if you wouldn't mind telling my listeners a little bit about what Final Caller is about. Yeah, no problem. Uh, Final Caller basically... Uh... You know, we had made a couple of movies, uh, bigger movies, and we were kind of tired. <laughs> We'd taken some time. Uh, I was remastering some of the older catalog from years ago that were old VHS releases. We're remastering those for Blu-ray and such. So uh, we hadn't made a movie in a while, about a year. But I didn't want to do anything really big. I didn't want to have to do the whole Indiegogo thing, mm -hmm. uh, mailing packages that never get anywhere thanks to the post office and things like that. So. We want to do something smaller, something that I could pay for on credit cards uh, about, you know, something that uh, you probably couldn't even, you know, buy groceries for a month on what we spent on this movie. But we decided that uh, we wanted to do something small, intimate, but also claustrophobic. And uh, I was thinking about it and I've had a radio show for years. We have we're syndicated. We're like worldwide uh, and we've been doing this show. So I kind of thought, what about if I did something about a radio show? I used to be friends with Art Bell. A mm -hmm. uh, wonderful man. Before he passed away, we uh, we used to. He was kind of my mentor in radio. We used to go around on things, and he would teach me all kinds of stuff, and was very supportive. So I thought, what if there's a show, kind of like that? That's an all night show. Only it's hosted by someone like a really over the top Howard Stern, <laughs> if you can imagine, because Howard Stern's already pretty over the top. Right. And I thought, well, let's make him like. Howard Stern to the 10th power and he's on this show and he gets all these crazy people that call in and wild stories. And one night this guy calls in saying that, you know, he's a serial killer and he's going to kill these people. And of course the show host botches the whole thing instead of going, Oh man, don't do that. He basically is like, yeah, whatever. Thinking that the guy has this girl in the background, that's his girlfriend and they're playing a prank on him. And he, basically eggs him on and tells him, go for it if that's what you want to do. And so this guy actually kills somebody on the air. And the, the, the serial killer happens to be like the biggest fan of the, of the show ever. Roland Bennett is the name of the show host, and he just loves him. And he's very disappointed when Roland doesn't believe him. So then he takes it upon himself and he figures, well, it changes the whole trajectory because not only does he have to do these killings, but now he has to prove to Roland that he's really doing them. And that kind of sets everything in motion for a night of chaos and craziness full of uh, carnage and all kinds of bizarre things that happen. <laughs> and it just goes <laughs> off the rails. That it does, which I really appreciated quite a bit because I was watching. I'm like, OK, all right. You know, you got uh, Douglas Epps, who, um, man, how did you have him keep that anger energy because I don't think I've ever seen someone embody such the extreme curmudgeon consistently for such a extended period of time that he did in this film. <laughs> I have to tell you, uh, Douglas was extremely, extremely uh, nervous. Was this he? was the first time he did something. He'd done some mm -hmm. smaller roles and he kind of made a, a big kind of splash with Bone Hill Road mm -hmm. when we did that film. 
but this was his big his big one and he had never done anything like that before so he was nervous because originally when we started shooting there was a different lead in the cast mm. and then of course covid happened and due to health reasons he had to leave mm. and we moved douglas up to the lead mm. and moved my assistant director alex into the support role that douglas was in which was basically your uh tech guy he's, right. he's the guy handling you know the mixing he's the engineer mm-hmm. of the show um and so that became alex and <laughs> so uh douglas stepped into it and really worked hard i mean he did and it was kind of a thing where we would always like in between takes of course he wasn't angry like this but right. then we would take time we would work him up get him <laughs> ready and then we would go for it and uh it really was a, a quite a challenge for him, but also it was a challenge because sometimes like the co-host knowing Douglas and knowing he's not like this, just couldn't, you know, the, the, right. the co co-stars of the show couldn't help, but, uh, but, but laugh, you know, because it was, <laughs> it was pretty over the top. <laughs> it, it was over the top, but fitting. I, I, I enjoyed the character quite a bit. It's just the energy. I was, I was very impressed uh, how he sustained it. Cause usually you get a character like that and eventually it tapers off a bit. And, and while right. he hit, you know, while he had little, he had little, you know, moments for the most part, it was like, wow, this guy is just eternally angry. <laughs> he is such a mess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and I appreciated that quite a bit. Now, uh, where you shot this looked very familiar, uh, you've, have you, you've used this location before where you shot with the radio station, right? Cause you mentioned that you're doing this on a, on a, uh, a, a smaller budget. Uh, the, the location looked very familiar. Was it that from, uh, um, uh, dreaming purple neon as well? Or yeah, we did use mm-hmm. some of the, so what we did was we used hallways and exteriors for that location, which is mm-hmm. kind of our studio. That's oh. where. That's where our our mm-hmm. home base is for extreme entertainment. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we the studio itself was built inside of a building uh, in Independence mm-hmm. by uh, RJ and, and Jack. They they took it upon themselves and built that and did a wonderful job. And then we had a few more locations like where the victims are. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when the killer is killing them and he's calling into the radio station, you see where they are. And uh, so we, we kind of milked what we knew and what we had for everything what the, <laughs> sure. you know and the building where the station the studio was built the mm-hmm. station studio that also served as the opening scene and it also served as the basement area for the building mm-hmm. and uh, so we we just basically kind of went to these areas where we had and some of the restaurants that we knew or the locations we knew would let us film there we kind of went there as well um, so it was it was kind of cool because there were places we had we'd been before that we really liked the people and we were able to go back there and do this um, on our own you know time and budget. The only problem was like we lost the lead actor, so we had to catch up right. with like about you know two and a half weeks of shooting. But um, once we caught all that back up, everything was better. I was a mess because I'd broken my foot. Oh no! And uh, I was in extreme pain on the set, hobbling around, uh, just just grouchy trying not to be everyone says i wasn't grouchy i think i was grouchy because i'm not a screamer as a director so i found that i I felt like i was grouchy but they said oh no you were great so i was (laughs) like well that's good enough at least but um it was a it was a very grueling shoot Mm -hmm. but and the makeup effects we didn't really have an effects artist per se that we normally would work with we just kind of did them ourselves Mm. 
uh, you know, during the week we would prep the effects. We would shoot on the weekends and have everything ready to go. It was just a small group of us and whoever thought they could do the effect, you know, we kind of just did it. And uh, I'd done effects when I first started. It's kind of what got me into filming in the first place way back when I was a kid. And so this was kind of like a return to form and making it as gross as humanly possible. Uh, because I it, look, when you're in a location like this, I wanted part of the intensity to be you're you're thinking as an audience, they're never going to show that. And then we do. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of one of the things I, I, nowadays it seems like in films, everything cuts away at the last minute, but I don't want to cut away. That's part of the greatness of riding a roller coaster. That's like riding a roller coaster. You get to the top of the hill and then it goes away. Yeah. That isn't fun at all. So I wanted to, uh, to make it as thrilling and as, as shocking as possible, but mostly entertaining for people, you know? And, and I, I really think you accomplished that with this, uh, you know, some of the makeup effects I really enjoyed, uh, you know, I could see you. It did feel you uh, kind of going back to your roots because you've been you've been in this business for for quite some time making films and uh, especially on on smaller budgets. So uh, it did feel a little bit uh, old school in it. Not in a bad way, though. Uh, I know you had a lot more makeup effects and such in in Dreaming Purple Neon, which, uh, you know, just blew me away what you had in that film. And so in this one. Uh, what you did have, I think was effective, especially in the, uh, caged girl scene, uh, which which I'm trying, I'm not going to spoil it too much folks, but let me just tell you, there's a scene that kind of comes out of nowhere that I was very happy that some of the characters in the film as well were saying the exact same things I was. That's right. That's right. (laughs) You know. I wanted to write intelligent characters and I always think, you know, in these movies and the, the main thing is telling a good story. Mm-hmm. So to do that, you have to have characters that are somewhat believable. And I wanted them to say something that you might say as you're watching it and to kind of be like, my, what the heck is going on? Kind of, you know, <laughs> whole thing. And, and we threw some cool twists in there mm-hmm. too, to kind of throw you off. And, and I've been told that uh, a lot of people didn't see those coming, which makes me really happy. So there's some uh, there's some fun to be had there, you know, and you're right. We did go back to our roots a little bit. It's like it's like going back to your roots after you learn how to do something right. Like Mm -hmm. the first time you ever make a pizza with no one telling you how to do it and it's a mess. And then years later, after you're a pizza chef and you make the same pizza, but you know how to do it now. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, no one's no one's a pro. You know, even Steven Spielberg says, hey, man, every time I make a movie, it's like I I just became a director again because (laughs) when you go on the set to me a day on the set without learning something new about filmmaking is a wasted day Mm -hmm. it's like every day has to be something where you learn something new how to tell the story in a more intriguing and 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 more visually pleasing way and uh so you know we learned a lot on this film by doing it with no money and Mm -hmm. doing it old school style and trying to figure out you know but we own our own equipment now so i was able to you know, do some really cool lighting and, and play with things and make sure that it looked nice. It looked <laughs> good and professional. And uh, un- unlike the older, old, old movies way back in the day that I kind of disowned before 93, <laughs> uh, before Zombie Bloodbath, those early ones, like those early eight movies, sure. I kind of said, God, I don't even know what I was doing. I didn't even know where to point the camera half the time. But this, you know, finally I learned how to do that, thank goodness. But I, I did go back to the old school gore style and mm-hmm. kind of make it just nasty you know we wanted it to be gnarly and and there's a couple of things i'm really proud of i I was really proud of the scene where 
uh, and I'm not going to tell anyone where it is, but there's a scene where there's a hole that gets put in a person. Yes. And our serial killer looks right through the hole at I you. Lo- it's pretty cool. <laughs> that was an awesome scene. I loved that. And uh, yeah, you you definitely have some twists in here I didn't see coming either. And I, I appreciated that. And uh, it, it is definitely a wild ride. And of course, with any film like this, you have to have. Uh, uh, you know, kind of a, a memorable villain because you've got such a extreme character in your Roland Bennett. So we have that in The Outsider. Uh, what was it about Jack McCord that made you choose uh, him for The Outsider? Well, you know, if you've seen Dreaming Purple Neon, you saw Jack yeah. chew the scenery in that. <laughs> and uh, and I've known Jack a long time. He's He's been in everything, you know. And uh, we've, we've been working together for quite a few years in short films. And, and I mean, he's he's in a short that we did for the uh, High Fear anthology mm-hmm. called Losing It at the Devil's Whorehouse. <laughs> and he is so funny in that. And uh, also it goes very dark. So that's mm-hmm. fun. And uh, after, you know, Clown Nato, he was kind of a hero, played a sheriff and everything right. was normal. I was like, yeah, we got to get you chewing some scenery again. And uh, the thing with Jack was for he and i both it was kind of important that he wasn't just repeating cyrus archer from mm-hmm. dreaming purple neon we wanted him to be creepy and weird and we thought it would be funny if he was spouting all this jargon like he was and someone someone who's seen the movie told me that they thought i was trying to make a political statement not at all this is not <laughs> anything any of us believe it was the fact that this guy was completely off his rocker and we thought let's have him just pouring out these stream of consciousness ridiculous theories to these people as he's taking them out and that would be like the, even more torturous than just killing them yeah they have to listen to him talk for 30 minutes so we thought that was pretty funny to have him go on these diatribes and uh and also make him really kind of sick and he did a really good job i mean he stepped into it and and uh, i said you're going to be performing this thing about half naked and he's like you know I, i'll do it whatever we have to do to make this work and uh, and I just thought it, it kind of fit. The mm-hmm. whole thing just gelled together with he and, and he and Roland bounced off of each other so well yeah. that I just felt like there's a chemistry there. And then by bringing in some of the other cast, like our first time actress uh, that really did something like this, Jane Plumberg mm. playing uh, Roland's uh, soon to be ex-wife. <laughs> that's the mother of the little girl who's in Bone Hill Road. Anna. Oh, OK. That's her mom. And she had never done this, but she had been around for a while. And I was like, why don't you get a shot? I mean, we wanted people that we could depend on because sure. uh, we're going to shoot this very cheap and, and very fast. And mm-hmm. and uh, she said, OK, I'll try. And man, she did great. And then uh, Rachel came in and did great as the producer. Of course, Alex was good. And I, I loved all the victims. I thought they all did really well. So overall, I was so happy with the fact that everyone did their part so well, because if someone didn't do a good job mm-hmm. with that small of a cast, it's going to hurt the whole film. So mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed the fact that everyone really took it to the next level. Yeah, you could feel that as well. And I always felt that, that if you've got strong performances, many of the other aesthetics that come along with uh, a micro-budget film, uh, you're more forgiving with because you've got such great uh, performances and especially a good script, which is what you have here. Uh, you know, I, I loved the twists, the characters you had. You had a... Uh, I think my favorite scene, uh, I had a number of them in here, but the one that really, uh, and I'm not going to spoil it for anyone, but there's a specific scene in here with a security guard played by uh, Dylan Fawn Harvey. Uh, yeah, um, Dylan, yeah. Dylan? Oh, oh. 
<laughs> you, if, that, <laughs> if that doesn't go too far, what does? You know what I mean? <laughs> we we were filming that, and they're like, okay, so what are we gonna? And as I was directing, uh, sometimes the actors, knowing me as well as I do, would still. I mean, because Dai Lin played a demon queen with nipple horns. Right. I mean, so right. that's. But then she she even took a stop once or twice and looked at me and said, "We're gonna do that." And I said, "We're gonna do that." And uh, so because it was written a certain way and, sure. and we followed the script completely. But I also uh, I guess they didn't realize. And as you're reading it, maybe you don't on page how things were going to get really wild as the scene progressed. And uh, when Jack took off his shirt and he did all this stuff and he goes into this whole I don't even know what's wrong with him by that point. <laughs> I, I mean, even me as the director, I was like, you've just flipped your wig, man. I don't know what else to tell you. This is you've, you've gone. You've gone completely rogue off your own. Your, your own plan is gone now. You've gone way off off scope, and uh, and Jack just embraced it. He said, "You know, if we're going to do it, let's do it." And and poor Dylan, you know, she was she was uh, subjected to almost real life torture. It took so long to shoot the scene sure. and to get everything just right. And mm-hmm. she uh, she was a trooper. She sat there and dealt with all that in that position with the. The makeup and everything else and man she because she gets it she knows right. you know it's gonna right. this is what it's gonna take to and and she wants to impress you know she wanted her scene to be impressive and for people to enjoy it and to, to see wow man these guys they, they went all the way with this thing what the hell are they thinking but we did it <laughs> it's definitely memorable and uh yeah that was like wow <laughs> you did go for it uh you know and when you're making films uh, like this, because uh, you, you've had some, you know, throughout some of your films, you definitely have scenes in that uh, where make your jaw drop a little or whatnot. Uh, when you're making stuff like this, do you always kind of question, am I taking it too far? Or do you just go for it and you're in the moment with the filmmaking and, and go, ah, if people don't like it, oh, well, we just roll. Um, well, the way we look at it is, you know, this the company's called Extreme Entertainment. It's right. been that for years and years and years. And I think to myself, you know, Here's here's the way it is. Uh, there's no such thing as too far mm-hmm. as far as the horror scenes that we're trying to do, because we can always tone back, but we can't add to it. So we're going to shoot it as extreme as possible, what our budget will allow. Then if we realize in the editing room, OK, maybe it's taking away because it's too soon in the movie to go that far. Mm-hmm. Let's pull back a little. But like in Dreaming Purple Neon, every single effect we push to the limit. We're like do it do it we had we had the the blood splatter 5000 going man it was like this motor thing that just shot blood everywhere we were hitting the ceiling in this movie and and uh and that's where all the money went we we spent $2600 on dream purple neon that was our entire budget and wow. it almost all went to blood and effects <laughs> so uh, that tells you and, and this one's much cheaper than that mm-hmm. so that'll that'll kind of tell you we just take it and all of our money goes in it. Like I've never taken a salary. I've mm-hmm. been doing this for so many years and I've not one time took a salary because I'm like, well, here's what I got. You know, I've got this much money and I need to build a monster. So am I going to put the money into the monster, which is what people care about? Or am I going to put it in my pocket, which no one cares about? Right. And uh, I really go for the the idea that, you know, when I was a kid, I went to the movies and I watched these things like Phantasm and all these wonderful films. And it meant something to me. It touched me and, and uh, it, it made me have a better day. You know, I was having a terrible time at home. Maybe my parents were getting divorced or something at school or some fight with the friends. And, and the next thing you know, you know, you need an escape. And that's what I had. And I hoped by doing these movies to maybe offer that to someone else. And that's really my goal with this is to entertain people. 
sometimes I've succeeded and sometimes I've fallen so far on my face that I'm like in a pit and I'm never getting out. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we all do it and mm-hmm. it's trial and error. And yeah, my early movies that I disowned were terrible. There were, but someone saw spark of something in there and gave me a deal and put them out on VHS all over the world. Most people hide those in a closet, mm-hmm. only bring them out for family reunions or something. Not me. <laughs> I got those things all over the world because I'm a fool. But, you know, when someone you idolize says, hey, I'll put these out, you say, yes, sir. Let's do it. <laughs> sure. And here, uh, here you go. <laughs> go right. But you're right. We have always kind of went for gone for the gusto when we had the money and when we could do it. And like a movie like Goblin, I kind of I'm like, oh, God, no. But people love Goblin. I don't know why. You know, we made that movie in like 19, about between 1990 and 1991. And mm-hmm. I don't know why people love it. But they do. And I think it's because of the fact that we pushed boundaries. We did things no one else did. I mean, we're ripping, you know, entrails out to places people normally don't see entrails ripped out of. So uh, and even in even in Final Color, we went kind of back to that with uh, Alex's, you know, scene. And uh, and poor Alex. Hey, oh, boy, you talk about a, I could tell you some funny stories about that. I want to ruin the scene, but I'm telling you, half of that scene was shot inside and half of it. We had to build some stuff outside to do the scene sure and the it was at the studio there in the parking lot and we built stuff to and people outside were seeing this done (laughs) and needless to say uh we got some weird looks so the police arrived and i i was like well there's no crime in what we're doing but someone called them and told them that we were running around with guns in the parking lot so the police showed up (laughs) and i'm like well that's kind of weird after all these years so they should be used to it by now (laughs) You're not. You don't know what you're going to see over here at the Extreme Entertainment Studios. That's just how it is. <laughs> and then you go, "Hey, you guys want to be in a film?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why don't you guys come on over? We'll do it for real. We'll, we'll do it for real. We'll have a we'll have a police scene. I can work one in here. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, I think, uh, and I'm I'm so happy that uh, I've gotten a chance to talk to you here because I think part of the reason why people even might enjoy your earlier works, even though uh, you, you know you questioned it, is because uh, there's this genuine spirit with your films. Uh, and I hate to say it, but I've watched a lot of indie films, uh, since I really was uh, turned on to them, uh, many years ago. Uh, and some of them, you could tell people are making them on purpose, you know, there, there's not quite such a genuine feel to it, but for each one of those, uh, films that you have, I think people notice the spirit or the, the, the honesty of what you're trying to make, that, that you're trying to tell a story. You're not just making this because, oh, you think it might put you on the map. Uh, you know, it, you're telling your story that you want to tell. And I think that's maybe why some people enjoy even your earlier works because of the honesty versus, you know, someone making it going, I'm going to be the next, you know. <laughs> right, right. Well, I, I really appreciate that because that's really true of me. I I've never done this for any reason other than I love the genre and I love telling the stories. And I fell in love. Like when I first started, I I'd mentioned I did makeup effects and I was making these movies on Super 8 film, like these Frankenstein movies and stuff, just to kind of do it with my friends. But I learned that I fell in love with the process of telling the story with the camera. And I loved uh, the reactions that I would get uh through showing them to, you know, friends and family and things. And I was like, you know, this is such a great honor to be able to do something like this. And it's not taken for granted ever. We, we, in extreme entertainment, we take it so seriously. We all love each other. We're like a big dysfunctional family, but we take (laughs) it so seriously that we're, we're doing something here that we feel important and we're not, we're not taking salaries. We're doing what we can because 
you know, we, we believe in it. Mm-hmm. And everybody who did this movie that you just watched, you know, we did that and stuck together and pulled through it during a pandemic. Right. Uh, when everybody else was making like Zoom movies and things like that, <laughs> we were out making an actual movie with a story that that was kind of epic and trying to tell this big thing. And it's because we believed in each other and we believed in it and we weren't going to stop. Nothing was going to stop us from finishing this story. And mm-hmm. it, it was it was like I said, there were times when it was extremely difficult mm-hmm. and it was so stressful. But we uh, we pulled together. And when it, when the going gets really tough. I find that this group of people in extreme entertainment, you know, Amanda and Jack and uh, Alex and, and all the actors, you know, all of us, uh, Skyler was involved in all these great people. We all pulled together, you know, Shailen was in and out doing what he could. And we, and we make this a family affair matter and this movie matter. And, and then at the end of the day, we just hope that people love it. So that's, you know, it's kind of weird because, you can't please all the people all the time, but we right. certainly try. And uh, <laughs> you're right about the passion. You're right about mm-hmm. the heart. You know, we do this because we love it. We don't have ulterior motives. We just want to tell a good story. And and that's what you have here. And I noticed that, that you have a lot of familiar faces. And you hear you hear some horror stories in indie filmmaking and that about certain actors and that. Uh, you know, and it seems like you collected, you've collected over the years. Well, not collected, but you've gotten to know and, and you've brought in a number of talented people and you work with them again and again. Is it because of that kind of family feeling that you have or these people that just connected with you or, you know, what, what kind of was, was there any type of criteria or is it just that you clicked that you uh, end up having the same group of folks uh, come back and and make these wild stories with you? Well, the thing is, look, we run this like a family business and all families fight. Mm-hmm. everybody's going to hit. It's stressful. You're making a movie. It's four o'clock in the morning. It's raining again. You're trying to get through the night. There's all kinds of effects are going wrong. The little clown guy didn't show up. <laughs> we don't know what's going on. We're trying to find another little clown guy. It's horrible. I one night, literally I was on the set. I had the producer walk up, tap my shoulder. Hey, um, you know all the effects. Yeah. Uh, they're not done. Oh, no. what <laughs> yeah they didn't prep the effects they they had a busy week or something they couldn't do oh my god so then it comes up tap 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 um yeah only half the extras were showed up from last time so we're gonna have to be real careful how we shoot that oh, no. okay <laughs> then tap 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 hey the the little clown guy didn't show up <laughs> the, the little the mini clown he didn't she didn't show up well what the well that's great because one of the actresses is only here for two days and yeah. going back to back to Florida. So how's that going? Because he's supposed to come out of her. How's this supposed to work? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to find us. I'm calling around right now. I'm trying to find us another little, little clown guy. Oh God, this is all happening on the same night. And then uh, tap tap tap. Hey man, someone knocked over the big lights. We don't, we're we're down to a two k. We're down. <laughs> what? This is like literally going on while I'm setting up lighting for another scene and. Uh, so this, of course, uh, you're going to get stressed out. Of mm-hmm. course you are. And every once in a while, you'll you'll get a little loud. They say I'm not too bad, but I, sometimes I, I try not to be. But mm-hmm. sometimes you snap. But anybody's going to do that. Anyone right. is. Mm-hmm. And that's the family dynamic. But then at the end of the day, you know, you've had your blowout for a second. Everybody kisses and makes up, man. Everyone hugs. Everyone says, hey, you know, we get it. Let's get this show done. And that's what it's about. You know, we all work together. And, and yeah. You know, you make good friends along the way. You make you find people that you trust, 
you find people that can pull off whatever you need them to do. And for me and for them, one of the big things with extreme entertainment is we try to make every movie we do different. So Clownado mm-hmm. doesn't feel like Bone Hill Road and that right. doesn't feel like Jane Purple Neon. And that doesn't feel like this movie. And that's because I want to push myself as, as a director. I want to, okay, I've done that. Let me do something really cool that I've never done before for the next one. And the actors are the same way. Let us try to be something we've never been. I mean, we have Black Elvis. Antoine's never been an Elvis in his life. So then suddenly he's Black Elvis. And uh, and everyone's like, that's not racist or anything. And I'm like, how is it, ra- how is it racist? I don't even understand, you freaks. Of course, if I offend everybody, I'm, I'm okay with that because that's what horror movies are supposed to do. But uh, th- let me offend you for the right reasons, not something you're making up. Uh, believe me, Antoine never felt like I was putting him down when he, he he had such a good time playing Black Elvis. He didn't even know what to do. He's like, "When are we gonna bring back Black Elvis?" I'm like, "I don't know yet." <laughs> so uh, you know, he loves this. He loves the, he, uh, people are so weird out there. But you know, we do what we do, mm-hmm. and we try to push each other in new directions so that we learn and we get better at what we do, and we love what we do, and we try to get more creative. And so that's why. You know, each movie you try something new and something different. And whether it's a big role or a small role, there's no big or small roles in our movies. Like Dylan has a less screen time as the security guard in Final mm-hmm. Caller than she had in Clownado, but that doesn't mean it's a lesser part. Right. It means she embodies that to its utmost. And as you said earlier, it's your favorite scene in the movie almost. So there you go. <laughs> it is. It really was. Yeah, I was happy to see Antoine show up as well. I remember Black Elvis. <laughs> that was, he, he seemed to be having so much fun. He really he, did. Uh, he, he really did. He, yeah. His favorite character that I've ever made for him is Derville Sweet. And uh, Derville is in several movies that we've done in the mm-hmm. past, and we got to bring him back for this new project we've been working on. It's top secret, and uh, mm-hmm. I think people are going to be shocked and surprised when they see it because it's a way you talk about a change of pace. It's way off, different from anything we've ever done. But I can't talk about it too much. But nope. I will tell you, it's a TV series, Ooh. and it's uh, the executive producer was Fred Olin Ray, and we had a fantastic time, and uh, and it it's a TV series and it'll blow your mind. It'll it's, it's going to freak you out. Awesome. Well, we're looking forward to that for sure. Uh, <laughs> do you get, do, and, you, do uh, you get some time to watch uh, horror films on your downtime at all? Or are you always going and making the next project? I, I do. I watch, I watch movies every day. Mm-hmm. You know, the, I consider it. Um, it's kind of like, you know, you're doing research. Mm-hmm. You're out there and you're checking out everything else that's going on and you're trying to, kind of stay with the times but also not let it influence you and that's the that's the big thing and there's so many movies i love and they're putting out all these things all these old classics again and i'm going crazy because i love them so much and then uh you know and then everyone's like well what's your favorite movie of the year todd and i'm like well it's not a horror film it's my favorite movie of the last 20 years is paddington 2 i mean it's the most amazing <laughs> film ever made P- paddington 2 is amazing you're absolutely right well, even, the, even the first paddington uh-huh. It really was. It was fan. Those two movies right there, are, and they just announced the third one uh, mm-hmm. yesterday. So I'm stoked about that. And I'm just, those are my favorite movies because from a filmmaker's point of view, they're almost perfect, really. Mm-hmm. They're, 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 they're done with such passion, as you said, and, and heart. And uh, the, the technicians involved are at the top of their game. There's no one better. And yeah. so when I saw those movies, I was like, wow, I, I forgot I was watching a movie when I saw both of those. So I was just like, <laughs> As a filmmaker, you're always thinking about how they did this or how they did that. Mm-hmm. Just blew uh, recently, you know, Top Gun's new movie was great, and I really liked the ambulance. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I thought that was fantastic. Michael Bay, some people love him, some people hate him, but I tell you what, no one can make an action movie like Michael Bay. This guy is like the top of his game when it comes to action movies. It's like, it's kind of like watching, uh, going back and watching Con Air again, yeah. this movie. It's really good. And I, I thought, man, and that's, you know, as a filmmaker, I love horror. It's like my first genre, my first love of that. But I also love filmmaking and I love good stories and I love people who are, incredible at their craft so yeah i watch these movies and they just i watching paddington 2 you know, i was almost like God, i need to quit being a filmmaker i'm never going to be this good <laughs> this is fantastic i mean everyone would be like what's your dream movie to make that would be it that or like you know something and they'd be like what's wrong with this guy but the, you know it, it, look it, it, here, here's what I, I tell people when you're a storyteller if you're you, you a lot of people just turn the camera on and just go for shock, shock, mm. shock, cut off a ball sack, cut off a ball sack. How many ball sacks are we going to cut off in this movie? Let's get, let's get real. My thing is there's no reason to do it unless there's a story to tell. Mm -hmm. And it feels like I've gotten that. And when I first started, of course, when you're a kid, you're just like all about the gross out because you haven't realized there's a story to tell yet. Mm -hmm. And then you get to the point where you're like, yeah, but man, don't you want to, don't we want to have a reason for this guy to get his ball sack cut off? I mean, there's just, just nonstop carnage for no reason. So I just, I, I guess I'm, as I grew up, I wanted to tell a good story mm -hmm. and, uh, and make people care about what was going on, even if just a little bit. And, you know, you see that in some horror yet today, some modern horror, it's, it's one of those things. A lot of people were praising hostile. And right. for, for me, I didn't, it would, I didn't care for hostile and it wasn't because of the gore and the shock value. I'm like, okay, it's because I didn't care about any of the main characters who would, the would be victims coming. They're I, jerks. They were the, the entire, all of them. I didn't care who survived, at least in hostile two, we had a character who you cared about, who, right, you right. know, you, you know, though at least one, but if you don't have that and what I got with final caller is I'm like sitting here going, I should be hating Roland Bennett. I, I really should. Exactly. I go, but for some reason, I feel for this guy. Well, that's because by the time I get done torturing everybody on screen, you kind of start going, man, maybe Roland isn't so bad. Jesus. <laughs> this outsider guy and all this other crap going on. What's happening here? But Roland, yeah, he's despicable. Someone told me recently that he was a lovable asshole. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think that kind of embodies the character because I think we see one of the things Douglas and I talked about um, in, I constantly had him watching Dennis Hopper Oh, sure. Uh, because mm -hmm. Dennis Hopper has a way of being a total asshole, but you can see something under the skin of that kind of like, this is a front because mm -hmm. he's a very insecure person and he's very sad. And this is his way of keeping people away. And that's something we really talked about with Roland Bennett was, Roland is the biggest asshole in the world, but it's all an act to keep people from getting too close because he's so afraid mm -hmm. of intimacy and of, of people hurting him that this is his protection. And, uh, and, and we really, we really played with that a lot. And so I'm glad that it kind of comes through because some people aren't seeing it. You know, there's a few that have said, man, it's a, I can't hardly handle this guy. He's such an asshole. But I think if like what you did, you know, you kind of saw the, the different layers that we were trying to put in there. Um, we did a few little things to kind of show his his soft side, mm -hmm. if only for a few seconds, because <laughs> right. he's not going to let he's he's, no. he's like, I'm not showing this for very long, but he showed it for just enough to give the audience a clue that he's not completely vile. 
Well, and I, I like the fact I like characters who, you know, they're extreme like this, but they're also aware of how they are. You know, that's true. <laughs> and, and Roland is, you know, because you do get some movies out there, you know, where the guy's just a complete, you know, dick. Uh, but you're like, he's unaware he's being a, you know, he thinks he's being the coolest guy, but he's being a dick, you know, whereas you get Roland who fully acknowledges he's, uh, you know, one of the biggest assholes out there. Fine. You know, but that's him. He's not going to change for anyone. Uh <laughs> well, plus it was also one of the things we wanted to do was we were kind of saying, as we even were, were filming it, we we're like, you know, we don't like this guy, but some of what he says is absolutely what we all want to say. It is. <laughs> But we and I didn't even realize it as I was writing it because I was just making him so like a, a human without a filter is what I was trying to write. And then I was like, man, some of what he says does kind of if you do feel like, why don't we all just say this when we hear stupid stuff? <laughs> like that poor lady, she calls in and her daughter's like banging Sasquatch and he goes off. He's like, what kind of an idiot are you to let your daughter marry Sasquatch, you idiot? <laughs> Which is the exact you're gonna call, which is the exact thought you're having. Point. Yeah, the exact yeah. thought you're having when you hear her describe it. You're like, what? And then you're like, uh, why are you bugging me about this? You're you're the fool who's let it go. You're the stupid person. You're wasting my time. <laughs> and then you're you're kind of thinking, man, uh, this uh this Roland kind of has it going on. He's kind of got it going on. He, he does. <laughs> he definitely has it going on. Oh man, you know, and you brought up uh, you brought up an interesting point, especially with uh, your experience over the years in that with uh, indie film, micro budget film. You know, do you think some folks out there who watch films like this uh, can't get past possibly the lower uh, budget aesthetic uh, and, and not look past that? Because I've noticed some people, you know, who are very critical with indie uh, films like this, uh, and. It, it seems like they, they could never get past the, the technical aspects of what might not be to a, you know, a high Hollywood caliber level or a high production value. They, they can never get past that. Would you say that's a bit of a stigma that follows some indie films? Well, I think it's true because I know like on final caller, we made sure that the lighting was always on point because a lot of indie movies are so dark or they don't put the lights in the right place. And we really wanted it to have an aesthetic that is pleasing to the eye. Mm -hmm. So we used our light meters and we used everything we knew to try to make sure, as I've learned over the years on Clownado and Blown Hill Road and House of Forbidden Secrets was a big one, that we really want this lighting to be as professional as possible, just like on a, a regular film. Mm -hmm. But still, at the end of the day, we're still shooting on cameras that are not you know, right. uh, $600,000 cameras and the image is never going to look quite like it does. Plus we don't have the mastering people that, right. that put the bells and whistles and all the color. We have color correction, but not like they do. I mean, they've, <laughs> you know, and these guys, so yeah, there's an aesthetic. There's a look to a Disney movie that you're not going to get mm -hmm. in an indie thing, no matter how, how hard you try. Uh, still there's some that do come close. They, they work very hard and they do come close, but it's, it's one of those things that you still have to have more money than we have right. to get the look that we would love to have. But you're right. I think some people just look at it and go, this does not look like Raiders of the Lost Ark. What am I watching? This is terrible. Mm -hmm. I could have made this at my Aunt Gertrude's house on my Fisher-Price camera. And uh, they have that attitude. And I get it. I do. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, it really, it, at the end of the day, you, you use what you have to tell the story the best you can. Right. And uh, 
if I waited until I had the budget to make it look like what I wanted to look like, man, I'd never get to make a movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, so I'm out here, you know, doing, doing what we can. Mm -hmm. And I'm, you know, especially since my comeback after the heart attack in 2012, I'm really loving the, uh, you know, this whole, the look of everything we've done, even Bone Hill Road, because I wanted it to look gritty and I wanted it to look like a handheld and kind of grungy. And some people are complaining. It's so, it's grainy. Well, you know, we added grain to it <laughs> yeah, to make it look grainy. We actually went out and uh, purchased film grain and put it into the film. So it would have that handheld grainy aesthetic that's just kind of dirty and grungy because this is supposed to be out in the middle of the woods in the middle of the night and a mom and her daughter, and it's not supposed to look all pristine. Right. That was on purpose. Mm -hmm. uh, Clownado looks like a comic book because we wanted it to. We, we on purpose. I mean, this thing is called Clownado. What the <laughs> heck? I had to learn how to do clown, clown tornado things. I didn't even know how to, how the hell was I going to make that happen on a budget of $9,000? But I go out there and I'm like, you know what? We're going to learn how to make clowns and, and tornadoes and we're going to learn how to make a mesh. And, uh, that's what we did. We don't, you know, everything we do is a challenge. That was the biggest, oh my God, that thing trying to create those things. Uh, sure. It's, it doesn't look as good as, you know, Twister, but, uh, originally we were trying to do, uh, we had found a way to do actual physical effects, mm -hmm. practical effects to make the tornadoes, but it was going to be $5,000 just to do the miniatures. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> and we didn't make enough. We were hoping sure. to get 20 or 30 grand, but we got, you know, nine and then it went up to 10. And that's and that's we had to buy extra lights and everything, too, and all the makeup effects. So at the end of the day, with the costumes and everything else, we just didn't have the money to do the, the practical tornadoes. So I had to teach myself how to do a tornado in a computer. <laughs> and we don't like to use CGI or any kind of visual mm -hmm. effects for the gore. And we want all of our makeup to be practical. But when it came to the tornado, I had no choice. I had yeah. to kind of go CGI. <laughs> yeah. And, and you, you, you know, I think. That, too, is missed. And I've learned over the years, because when I first was doing this many, many years ago, uh, not that long ago, but when I finally fell into uh, the indie films and uh, learning and getting to know people like yourself, uh, you know, I think people don't realize those are the decisions you make. I always say the one of, well, do we make this look extra shiny or do I feed my cast today? <laughs> you know? And you, you have to make those kinds of decisions. Uh, and that's a common theme for a lot of the indie directors I talk to. So, yeah, I mean, they don't realize that, you know, some of this stuff you're learning for the first time. And, uh, you know, everybody, a lot of people, though, have gotten their start from low budget indie films. I think you know, a lot of people forget that. And I was thinking back out of it, you know, even Tom Hanks did that mazes and monsters. Oh yeah. He did. Well, even before he did that, uh, he was standing in line at a roller coaster in, in that movie where it's like the stranger is watching yeah, or something. Yeah. Was, yeah. Yeah. It was pretty funny, <laughs> you know, but you know, Jennifer Aniston who hit it big, she did leprechaun for crying out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a lot of people doing it out there. You have to do what you do. You know, what are you going to do? And it's, it's, that's where you cut your teeth. And, and, you know, I, I think, some some of that's lost with some mainstream viewers, though it's picked up a little bit more. And it was actually fun. Uh, COVID wasn't fun, but watching 
like YouTube reviewers and that suddenly discover indie films on streaming because there was nothing being dropped to the theater. So they had to look for content elsewhere and see the, uh, you know, start talking about some indie horror film or something, go, wow, this was such and such. And I'm like, yeah, I knew about that movie a long time ago. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and discovering it. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, final caller, man, it was a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, I, I hope it does well um, uh, for you. It, now, it's when is it out? Is it out at the end of this week? Uh, it's out it, July 5th. Or July 5th. It's going to come me. out. Yeah, yeah it's going to be out. July. We're, we're going to have the bang of the 4th of July. Then we're going to give people a different kind of bang on the 5th. <laughs> nice. So uh, wow. we're going to give them a couple of shocks. We're going to. We're going to make sure their holiday keeps going a day longer. We hope. We hope. <laughs> you, you hope. You hope. I, I think you will. Now, is it just going to be streaming or is there going to be physical media too? Oh, no. Physical. I, I, as a matter of fact, that's my number one thing. I'm like, uh, you know, Wild Eye releasing has been so good with us and Rob. And, uh, you know, they've got our films in Walmarts all over the country. Uh, you know, FYE, back when Family Video was here, uh, Barnes & Noble, uh Best Buys and Targets. We've seen our stuff all over the, the country. It's mm -hmm. great. I'm out doing a convention or a film festival, and I go in a store, and there's my stuff. It's so great. And uh, not to mention all the great indie stores that are popping up that are mm -hmm. carrying this stuff. And uh, it's physical media for me. You know, I remember uh, last year when AT&T's grid went down, and everyone was freaking out. They're like, oh, what am I going to do? My family photos are on there. I'm like, well, you know, maybe you should have went to Photomat. I don't know. But, uh, you know, I, for me, I, I have to have the physical deal. And it's yeah. because, you know, I want I don't – it's like Tom Cruise said recently, you know, with this Top Gun deal, when I was seeing that. He came on before the movie and he thanked people for being in a theater mm -hmm. because that's what this movie was made for. He said, you know, does the sound and the picture and the rumble and all these technicians made this movie for you to enjoy, not on a cell phone that's four inches wide. Yeah, they they want you to enjoy this movie like it's meant to be seen. And uh, for, for me, the closest, you know, we do some theaters. We do have theatrical screenings mm -hmm. around the country. But for me. At the very least, I want people to watch this on a big screen, kick back with some stereo speakers, having a good time. I don't, I don't want them watching. You know, I've had reviewers that yell at me about my stuff being too dark. And I'm like, well, what are you talking about? Well, we watched it on our cell phone. Oh, geez. Oh, yeah. Maybe, you, maybe you can't see it because the people are an inch and a half tall. Right. I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe you need a, micro, a magnifying glass or something getting mad at me because it's something that isn't even my fault it's because you're watching it in this the yeah. worst possible way and i feel like let's you know let's let's stop with that watching mm -hmm. movies this way and even on a laptop i you know no watch that movie like it's meant to be seen i know when you travel you watch it like when i travel i'm gonna watch paddington but i already saw it at the theater 15 times <laughs> You know, yeah, yeah. I'm going to watch that on my laptop because I know what it is already. And I love the story. It's I just feel like like, man, the theatricality has been taken out of and streaming sometimes is jittery and the quality is poor. And sometimes the streaming makes the picture dark mm -hmm. because the picture will look fine. And then when they the, the bit rate changes and they're and they've got all this, you know, crunching that they do to make it fit in this the stream. At this bit rate, everything, it loses colors, it loses mm -hmm. uh, vibrancy, it becomes dull, it becomes darker. And of course, Bone Hill Road that's already grainy is going to look even worse when you're watching it with mm -hmm. a million artifacts in it. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I would, I, I, it just feels like the director has no control over how someone sees his movie on the streaming platforms. And mm -hmm. unless you're Disney, 
Yeah. And you're putting the stuff out. And even they say 4K, it's not. No. It's barely hitting two. I, you know, it's 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 crazy. It, it's interesting. We got we, we've got a number of the streaming services and I was surprised. HBO Max to me has a better has a better picture than Disney. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Uh, it's it's scary, but it's true. And I just feel like, man, you know. Mm-hmm. I would really rather, but but you're right. It is coming out on all formats because who am I to tell someone not to watch something on their favorite format, even though it's right. not my preferred choice. Some people may love watching things digitized mm-hmm. and full of artifacts and on a two inch screen. So go for it. <laughs> well, I just know that like with Maverick, if that movie doesn't get an Academy nomination for sound design, someone is deaf because watching it. Wow. The, yeah. In the theater, the sound, if nothing else was just like mad, you know, it, it, it's just like Mad Max Fury Road. I, that's still one of my favorite films of the last 20 years uh, and, yeah. you know because of that sound design it was unbelievable yeah the sound and the visuals i saw it in the theater like three four times and once on 3d and the other two but i was like i don't think if i had that experience first if i had first watched it on my tv it wouldn't have probably hit me as well as it did in the theater because you're just like using they use the whole frame and you know, I read about it later, how he kept all the action in the center. And it was just whereas I watched Firestarter in the theater, which was also being released on Peacock at the same time. And some of the effects and some of the footage that they used, on, you know, that you could tell on the big screen didn't look good. Yeah, it's weird. You it's know, just so weird how that happens. It, it was one of those things where you could tell almost that this was made with the smaller screen in mind. I'm a big, if you can tell, I'm a big proponent of physical media. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the way it should be. I I agree with you 100. percent And just like uh, physical practical effects, which you have in the uh, you know in Final Caller, and yeah, uh, you got a lot of great stuff in here, man. And I, I'm hoping people dig it. And uh, it coming out uh, July, you said July 5th, and yeah, I guess. Uh, we can wrap it up here for the day. I just uh, was want to check one final thing. If there's a one, one thing piece of advice for someone out there who has got their uh, iPhone or whatever, wants to make the next uh, film, make the next horror film, what kind of advice would you give them? Um, really uh, for, for anyone trying to make a movie, uh, first of all, make sure your script is good and make sure the story matters. Like as I was writing the script, when I would change things, I would go back to the original outline and alter it just to make sure that the line went through the story. Like the entire storyline was cohesive and made sense and that people would care. Mm-hmm. Uh, make you know don't don't write the ugliest characters you can possibly write just because your friends will laugh at it mm-hmm. make make characters that are realistic and that people will want to you know learn more about um also you know i know everyone's hip on trying to do all this stuff on your iphone and everything else and yeah you can but you know why not get a get a good sony 4k you know they're not that expensive anymore you can get one for four grand uh with all the bells and whistles you can go out there and you can do these things and light things the way you're supposed to lighting and sound are your two most important things. Make sure your sound is good and crisp. No reason not to. It's all so cheap. Now you can do it. You can hook it right into your camera. You don't even have to do the the external sound anymore if you don't want to. 
And, uh, you know, make sure your lighting is on point. Read a bunch of books. I suggest, uh, uh, you know, Painting with Shadows and Light. It's a fantastic book uh, by Alton, who, who was, a, was this amazing film noir cinematographer, John Alton. And you can go through and read that book and then read Film Directing Shot by Shot. Read those two books front and back and then read them again. And as you're doing it, go out and and emulate your favorite movie. Just pick a scene in your favorite, pick a scene in Batman Returns Mm -hmm. and light it as closely as possible to that. LED lighting is super cheap now. And, you know, don't even worry about the costumes. Just put two actors out there and just light everything and use the camera angles the same and just recreate your favorite scenes in a movie. Mm And do that a few times just to kind of see, you know, learn about aesthetics and about the line of action and the director's line and about where to put the camera and where to to use shadow and where to use light. And those two books I told you about by John Alton and and that painting with shadow and light and also film directing shot by shot will help you immensely. And, you know, most of all, tell a story that you really want to tell with all your heart, whether it's got 9,000 nutsacks ripped off or not make sure that you tell a story that matters because man at the end of the day yeah you can shock people but I'm so burnt out on these movies that just shock you I'm just so tired of of it and uh and I love horror and I this it's 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 weird because modern horror is either these movies that have no plot and just try to gross me out or they have like a plot that's too much plot and it's called a slow burn and I'm slow burned out. I'm so tired of it. I'm like, gosh, guys, I really like, you know, some of them, but man, still, even the, even those, I'm like, would it hurt to like move the pace a little bit here? I mean, Jesus, they could really learn from Sam Raimi, tell a story, but don't bore me to tears. Right. I mean, the hereditary had some cool stuff, but I got so tired of watching the mom cry. I was like, I am no longer feeling empathy for you. Shut up. I just get on with the next scene. I was so tired, you know. I was like, I'm done with this balling all the time. But you know, it's a really well made film, except for the fact that I just felt like it was wringing every last moment out of these crying scenes. And I'm like, look, tell a good story, entertain your audience, and just do it with passion. Do it with your heart. That's my advice to everybody. You know, do it for the right reasons. Don't do it because you think you're going to get a big name or. You know, and 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 keep your ego in check, man. Because right. let me tell you, there's no room for ego anymore. Everybody mm-hmm. can do this. They got a they got a phone. They walk around. Half of them clutter up the airways now. I mean, there's so much going on with just little TikTok things, and people are becoming big stars. Who cares about being a star? Care about entertaining your audience. Mm-hmm. That's what it's about. Well, and making something, you know, like you said, a story that matters. Because if you do that, it'll be memorable. Versus your your shock film, which you know, uh, some shock films out there I've watched. Uh, I remember the scene. I don't remember what the story was about ever. You know, it's like and but with, uh, you know, all of these, especially, you know, Dreaming Purple Neon stuck with me for a while, not just because of the visuals, but the story uh, and, you know, your other films as well. It's there's a diverse stories out there, but you can all tell that they're heart and uh, yeah, they stick with me and I, I revisit them every so often uh, when I get a chance. I have so much to watch, but uh, yeah. And then, and then it comes through and uh, this has been, this has been great, Todd. I appreciate your time, sir, today. And uh, yeah, folks, check it all out. Check out 
Todd Sheets uh, filmography, uh, you know, House of Forbidden Secrets, Bone Hill Road, all the ones we mentioned, and even his earlier stuff. We'll keep an eye out for that uh, very super secret project as well, uh, sir. And uh, yes, yes, man, I think you'll like it. Yeah, I'll put links to uh, all your stuff in the web page that this episode will go on. And I hope we could talk again because uh, maybe when uh, your your secret project comes out, uh, we could we could chat again about it because, uh, yeah, this is this is always a learning experience and it's a great time. And uh, yeah, I guess uh, that's that's about it, folks. Uh, check out Todd's stuff and uh, hopefully we'll talk again soon. I appreciate it.